Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're talking defense today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 323. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a guy who is very familiar with this area, coached here for a handful of years, and has very close ties to some members of this Eagles defense, and that is current Georgia Tech head coach Jeff Collins, formerly the head coach at my alma mater, Temple University, and one of the more respected recruiters and defensive coaches in all of college football. I talk with Coach about playing defense in today's game, how to coach a team into creating more turnovers as a unit, and a couple of the Eagles' best players on defense because he coached them in college, plus a lot more. It was a really fun conversation that I think all of you are going to enjoy. Now, before we get there with Chalk Talk, You know what time it is. It's time for some housekeeping. First up, I want to remind you guys to head on over to our Apple podcast page and leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Appreciate everybody that has done that recently, but keep those questions rolling in. You guys have done a great job all offseason of filling up the comment section, whether it's questions that we can answer here on a show, ideas for future episodes. If there are players that you want us to break down, players that maybe have just joined the Eagles, Ben Fennell and I just broke down Anthony Harris in the last episode of the show. If you want breakdowns on any other players, Jump on. Leave us a question. Leave us in in that comment section exactly what you're looking for, and we will get it. And not only that, not only does it help the show, but it also helps – promote the show as well from a you know from a, an iTunes rating standpoint. So bump us up the rankings with the Apple Podcast. Thanks so much to everybody that has done that lately. Next up, I want to also give you guys a little bit of a heads up on what was coming up over on the Journey to the Draft podcast this week. And I know we're talking defense on the show today, but we're also talking quarterback early this week on the episode that drops tomorrow on Tuesday. Dane, Ben, and I are going to go through the top names in this class. Who's got the best arm talent? Who's the best in the pocket? Who's the best creator? That and a whole lot more. I suggest you go make sure you subscribe to the journey to the draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found now last thing before we get to chalk talk the eagles made some moves in recent days now uh the first thing we'll go back to last friday the eagles uh, part of essentially a three-team trade where the san francisco 49ers they trade up from number 12 to number three they give the dolphins some extra picks including an extra first round pick in 2022 and 2023 now the eagles they trade back with the dolphins so while the dolphins move back to 12 The Eagles take that 12th pick. They move back. They give Miami the sixth overall selection, a fifth-round choice this year. And the Dolphins, they give the Eagles number 12, a fourth-round pick this year, and a 2022 first-round selection, the Dolphins' original pick from from next year. So what this does now for the Eagles, essentially, is it gives them the probability for three first-round picks in 2022. You get the Eagles' first-round pick, the Dolphins' first-round pick, and what essentially could be the Colts' first-round pick, depending on if Carson Wentz either plays 75% of the snaps or plays 70% and the Colts make the playoffs. So that would be something big to certainly watch for here in the coming months with that Indianapolis Colts team. But the Eagles moving down 
in the NFL draft. Huge move here uh, as we are now just about a month away from the 2021 NFL draft. And and we're going to be talking all about that over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, the implications of this move and the players that that could be in play here in that part of the draft. Now, the Eagles also made another move. Joe Flacco signed in the middle of last week. Another body here in the quarterback room alongside Jalen Hurts. We know what Joe Flacco uh, has done throughout the course of his career. He's a big-arm guy. He plays with pocket poise, uh, does some things well. I'm excited to see what he looks like here uh, with Jalen Hurts already in tow. Just some good competition to push Hurts, uh, and Hurts will push him, obviously, as well here this spring, this summer. Excited to see those guys compete out on the practice field. So, a lot to cover there, but let's get this show started. It's time to kick things off right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to welcome into the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, a guy uh, that is known as one of the best defensive coaches in all of college football. Uh, if you are local here to Philadelphia, you may have remembered him during his times as the head coach uh, with the Temple Owls. Now he's down at Georgia Tech, and that's Jeff Collins. Coach, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So uh, before we get into some of the things I wanted to hit on with you, I think an interesting topic, and, and it was one that really kind of piqued my interest when you, unfortunately for us, uh, left Temple, go down to Georgia Tech. You take on a program that had run the triple option with Paul Johnson for years and years. And I remember what, how much of a pain it was going up against Paul Johnson when I was at Temple uh, and he was the head coach at Navy. But they go down there. They're down there for 11 years. And, you know, that's not a system that typically puts players into the NFL. And I think just kind of looking back at Georgia Tech Pro Days the last couple of years, not a lot of guys that are you know being seen as NFL type of prospects. Now, uh, you still had a couple guys that have been able to stick in the league, but what was that challenge like for you and your staff trying to say, okay, we have to kind of you know flip this on its head moving forward? And you know, outside of the change schematically, right. what else do you do to kind of get, re- get guys ready for the NFL? Yeah, but first and foremost, just tremendous amount of respect for Coach Johnson, uh, his coaching career, uh, what he's done with that offense. I mean, it's, it creates unique challenges uh, that, are, that are unlike anywhere uh, in football. And uh, so just tremendous amount of respect for him um, and what he's done in his career. But I think, you know, they're, they're in the last 40 years of college football, uh, what we've been, you know, uh, had the task to do hasn't really happened in 40 years of college football. And uh, it's just a, you know, a different scheme, uh, recruited different kind of guys. Um, when we got here, there were 13 running backs on scholarship. <laughs> uh, which doesn't happen. Uh, in college football and a roster management, uh, there were zero tight ends on the roster. Um, so just those kind of things, the mid skill uh, athlete, you know, we've had to bring in here and develop uh, at a very high level. Um, but there, there were some unique challenges. Um, you know, we've, we've the culture, the roster, uh, all of those things. It, it's exciting times uh, right now here at Georgia Tech. And uh, I think we had the first pro day we had, uh, we only had four guys uh, work out for pro day, but the cool thing is two of them were on NFL rosters this past year. Yeah. 50% batting 50% on a pro day. It's pretty good, pretty good math. And then we only had five guys uh, do pro day this year and are really excited about their chances uh, to get drafted and or make it uh, on a roster. Yeah, I was uh, thankful to be able to chat with you a little bit after that pro day. We're going to get into some of the things we talked about uh, a little bit later here in the discussion. But uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, everyone kind of everyone calls football right now an offensive game. The NFL is a passing league. You as a, as a defensive coach, how yeah. do you respond to that? And what, what kind of goes through mind when you hear someone say that? Uh, I mean, now as a head coach, yeah. uh, 
it, it, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, I've made my reputation on the defensive side of the ball, produced some of the – was blessed to coach some of the best defenses uh, in the country over the last 10 years. And, uh, you know, it's just – it is what it is. You know, the uh, it's an exciting time. The, the, the things that offenses are doing, the multiplicity, and you've got to match that on the defensive side of the ball. Great fundamentals, great technique, but you've got to change the looks um, and make it hard for uh, quarterbacks pre-snap Offensive coordinators pre-snap and then have enough changes and variations off the same look post-snap. You know, I when I first got to the Eagles in 2011, I can think to like when players were coming out of college, going to the NFL. Uh, there were still a lot, all those buzzwords that people throw. Oh, you know, like that's collegey stuff offensively. That's not going to work in the NFL. But you know, as we know, like the trickle up from high school to college to the NFL, all those things start to make their way up during that process over the last decade plus. How often do NFL coaches kind of come to you and say, "Look"? You've been seeing these kinds of looks for years and years. How do you, what do you go, or how, what goes into it for you in terms of preparing for the RPO and the QB run game and all of the different uh, aspects that go into offensive football? Yeah. So, one of the cool things that we did pre COVID uh, every year is we would have a defensive summit. Um, we would invite uh, coaching staffs from uh, one coaching staff from each conference around college football. Um, so, the Big Ten, the, the Pac 12, all of the Big 12 would come and we would just, pick one staff from each and we come and just have a full flowing sharing of ideas. And we include NFL staffs in there as well. And just the, they come in and try to see what the trends are uh, that we're having to defend. We're having to adjust the ideas that we have. And it's really good um, back and forth from the NFL to us, from us to the NFL. We always include some high school coaching staffs as well. Um, Cause just some of the things uh, that are even happening in the high school game, you know, are starting to trend yeah. uh, to the college game as well. So uh, trying to make sure you're up on the current trends and topics um, is very valuable. Everybody and their mother now knows like, oh, this, this is an RPO or whatever, you know, they know the term. Is there something that's coming up that you feel like, all right, like this is where the game is going and more people are going to be talking about this element uh, of the, the schematics of the game? No, I think that that's the trend right now. That's the wave right now. Yeah. And uh, just everybody's doing it. Um, but you're still having really strong fundamental downhill running game. But then the um, instead of getting the having the, the receiver come and crack the safety all the time, you're just throwing an RPO off of it uh, to get the same result and try to create even more explosives off of those things. So I talking to some uh, friends that coach in the game uh, offensively, I say, hey, look, I'm going to talk with Coach Collins uh, next week. What's something that you'd like to hear him talk about? And the, the, the prevailing thought was, I'd love to hear about him, you know, talk about turnovers. And that's something that you've been known for in terms of being able to create big plays defensively. So is there a, what's the secret sauce there without kind of giving away too much of your secret? Is there uh, what goes into coaching that into a defense? Can you coach that into an overall unit? Yeah. So it first starts with the mindset and the attitude. We talk about it every single day. Um, you know, we were at Temple the last year. We said we were going to lead the nation in turnovers. We said it every single day that we're going to lead the country in turnovers. Um, and I think that year we finished in the top three, but we led the country in defensive touchdowns, non-offensive touchdowns, um, and it was a big deal for us. So it's a mentality um, that we talk about every single day at the beginning of every meeting. We reward it. We incentivize it um, in various creative ways um, to get guys to buy into really truly wanting to impact the game and getting turnovers. Um, and then we do – inordinate amount of drills and circuit work. Yep. And this is the thing that 
Um, I, probably about 11 years ago, I was at a Hoover High School football practice. That's one of the top high school programs in the country. And everything that they were doing was some kind of circuit. Yep. Um, turnover circuit. It was a tackling circuit. It was a special team circuit. And I just thought it was so good for teaching um, in a short amount of time, impacting every single player on your team. And since that day, we are. it is a circuit fest. When you come to a Temple practice, you come to a Georgia Tech practice. When I was the defense coordinator at the University of Florida, having top five defenses, it was very turnover circuit, tackling circuit based. And we have all different kinds. So every single way you can cause a turnover or create chaos, we have a circuit for it. And the guys know it and the guys execute it. You can get a lot of reps in a short amount of time. Um, and then also whenever a drill that we do shows up on tape, whether it's practice, whether it's a game, we make sure we gas that up uh, as well to make sure the guys see that the drills that we're doing are showing up in real time in practices and in games. So just for the listeners that maybe don't know what a circuit is, you kind of explained it there. It's, uh, you know, you might, might have a 10 minute period, a 12 minute period during practice. There are like four or five different drills going on on one side of the field. And all the guys are going to spend three minutes at each yeah. of those drills and just kind of rotate through and get a whole bunch of reps in the, in the meantime. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. And if we get a lot of work at and the guys know I run the drill, so I'm the head football coach. I have a station at the circuit. Um, and, you know, I always tell them and they, they have the vernacular, don't mess up my drill. Yeah, that's right. Make sure, drill, make sure that thing's on point and then have my drill show up in practices and games and I'll gas that thing up and hype it up to no end. We're at the time of period of the year where, you know, it's NFL draft and team building and player player evaluation. When you're evaluating high school players or you're just looking around at the top players in college, do you feel like some guys just kind of have a knack for it? Is that like an innate trait of creating big plays? Whether, you know, we, we talk about ball skills as a DB, but uh, whether it's a, a defensive line with a sack fumble or linebackers getting the ball on the ground, is that a learned trait? Or do you feel like that's something that guys just kind of have or they don't? Yeah, so some of my favorite players that I've ever recruited, ever coached, uh, when you watch their highlight tape, and obviously we watch extensive game tapes on every kid, but on the highlight tapes, if they're causing turnovers, if they're blocking kicks, if they're scooping and scoring, uh, making those kind of plays, those really excite me a lot. So it is, I think it is something that uh, certain guys have a knack for, it, but we take pride in the ability to coach it as well. Um, but there, you know, there is some certain mentality, um, you know, spatial awareness. Uh, all of those kind of things that do play into it. We try to coach it because we want to see a lot of it, um, but there are some guys that just have a knack for it. Awesome. So uh, there are a few guys, too, that I want to ask you about, and I think a couple of these guys uh, might have that knack for sure, uh, guys that have played for you in the past. And I want to start with a couple of players from Mississippi State, and a guy that was a top 15 pick here in Philadelphia, and that's Fletcher Cox. You had a chance to coach him uh, down at Mississippi State. Give, it, give us a good story here on Fletcher. What was it just like? Uh, I'm not sure if you recruited him, but definitely coached him uh, so, down there uh, with Mississippi State. Yeah, he's awesome. And the, the cool thing about being in Philly is I would go into – so I've got a little uh, – I've got a – she was two at the time. We would go into toy stores, and there would be little Fletcher Cox dolls, or I'd be in a, a sporting goods store, and there's Fletcher Cox jerseys and T-shirt, and I would usually take a picture and text it to him. Uh, those were cool moments, but – one of my favorite things about Fletcher Cox is on Thursday practices, getting ready for a Saturday game, we could very rarely let him practice because he would just be so disruptive. He would go so hard that they couldn't even get plays off. Um, and I think that's one of the things we try to tell our guys, 
to be so good in practice and be so dominant that we can't even let you practice because the other side of the ball can't have any modem of success. Um, that was the kind of player that Fletcher was. He is the hardest practicing player that I have ever coached. And it, it was just fun to watch him. His attitude, his demeanor, his focus. He was just on a mission uh, the whole time we were there with him to be great. And it's it's ended up translating to him having great success uh, at the next level, too. Really proud of him. He was a guy, I remember that year, that, you know, it was him. It was Dontari Poe coming out. It was Michael Brockers from LSU coming out. So there were a bunch of defensive tackles. And I remember sitting down uh, with a, a scouting assistant at the Eagles at the time and just kind of buzzing through all three guys. And there was a play of Fletcher where he lined up. He would, you know, he typically lined up inside where you guys would put him out at D end at 300 pounds and just he'd come screaming off the edge. And I remember thinking that it was like my first draft cycle uh, with the Eagles and looking at him like, I don't want to overreact to what I'm seeing here, but like, this is a top 10 pick, right? Like, this is like, that's what this looks like. And he's like, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, was he always that kind of freak of nature from what, how you were able to use him? Oh, yeah. And I think even going back to high school days, I think he was on the 100 meter dash team or the four by one team uh, at his high school. So, I mean, just, Tremendous athleticism, tremendous speed, but just the thing that excites me so much about Fletcher is just how hard he plays. The way he practices, his demeanor, uh, those are the things that, that have always lasted with me. And I tell stories about Fletcher all the time to our defensive players uh, and our D-line D in particular. So another guy that you had down there at Mississippi State as well, uh, a member of the Eagles secondary, and that's cornerback uh, Darius Slay. Same kind of deal. What was it like coaching Darius? Uh, definitely a, a unique personality in terms of what he brings uh, to the defensive side as well. Uh, what was it like coaching him? So my claim to fame with Darius is I gave him the nickname Big Play Slay. Oh, that's big time. That's awesome. And I think I gave it to him when we were recruiting him. Um, but just he, he great player, great personality. And just got better every single year, has such attention to detail, uh, to being elite. Um, he, he's gifted. I mean, he's he's one of the fastest players I've ever seen in real life and in person. Um, he played opposite of a Jim Thorpe Award winner. So Jonathan Banks won the Jim Thorpe Award at Mississippi State. And the corner opposite him was Darius Slay. And because Darius was such a dominant player as well, a lot of the plays would go to Jonathan and uh, he made the most of them. Um, but that was a really good duo to be able to coach back in the day. And I'm just really, really happy for Darius or really happy for Big Play Slay uh, doing his thing up there in Philly. There's a, a new defensive scheme here in Philadelphia. And the belief by a lot of media is that there's going to be a lot more zone coverage. And, you know, last year was primarily man-to-man. How do you feel just in terms of, uh, you know, what you know from Big Play Slay? Uh, how do you feel he transitions to that kind of scheme? I think that's a question that a lot of media have right now. Yeah, so that, and we played a lot of uh, a lot of zone premise. Um, we were together at Mississippi State, and he's got a tremendous feel for the game. Uh, he studies the game. It's important to him. Uh, being elite is important to him. And uh, he's just got a great feel for the game, whether it be locking somebody down a man or having some freedom and vision uh, in zone coverage. I, I mean, I think the world of, of Darius. So uh, I think he'll be successful in every scheme. Getting back to the, the turnover discussion, do you feel like playing a little bit more zone can open things up for a guy to be able to kind of see the whole field and break on throws early and kind of create uh, some more of those turnovers if you're playing corner? It, it's different, yeah. right? Different the way the, the turnovers happen globally. Um, schematically, from a corner's perspective, probably so. Um, from a global perspective, there's uh, turnovers by playing man with different ways, turnovers by playing zone in different ways. So 
I, I don't know if that plays into it, but I think Darius will have a will have a ton of success. And then the last guy I want to get you uh, on is the uh, one of the more recent additions to the Eagles team, and that's uh, a rookie this past year. That's linebacker Sean Bradley uh, from Temple, a single-digit Temple tough guy. Uh, I know from during your time with the Owls. Uh, what was it like uh, coaching Sean and bringing him into Philadelphia? Yeah, so I wore number five in college, uh, so that number has a great sense of, of pride to me. Um, so the single-digit tradition that we had at Temple, I thought that was phenomenal. Yep. They coached gold and brought in. Uh, I bought into it, loved it. You know, I, I haven't known it for 10 years through Matt. Um, and then the day that I gave Sean, uh, we called it S dot. The day we gave S dot, uh, his single digit five, you know, we would all, you know, call each other five and all those kind of things. So, uh, he played running back for us as well. Uh, tremendous athlete, tremendous speed, great demeanor. He is tough. He is a leader. Uh, he is physical. And uh, there, there's not an I, we'd have to have another 45 minutes uh, on this show for me to just talk about uh, all the virtues that is Sean Bradley. Uh, we spoke I mentioned earlier, we spoke after your pro day uh, a, a couple of weeks ago now, and we talked about the importance of special teams, how it's the lifeblood of your program. And it, 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 that kind of resonated with me because it was the same way when when I was a temple working under Coach Golden. When I when one of my big takeaways from that, because that was my first time working professionally in football, was that a lot of the traits you see from great special teamers that translates to good play defensively, you know, playing in a space game and, uh, you know, being able to deal with contact, navigate through traffic, all that. Is that something that, uh, that you talk about with your team? And I know you, you talk about the importance of it, but, uh, is that a general takeaway for fans to, to have from this as well? We talk about it every single day. <laughs> yeah, if you ask any player in our program, what the first priority in the Georgia tech football program, every single player will say special teams. There's graphics that we just make sure the mindset special teams is the first priority. Uh, the cool thing, even though we only had five guys uh, in pro day this year, all five of them were starters on punt team. Whenever we go to our pregame meals, pre-COVID and post-COVID, the punt team always eats first. Mm. So if you're a starter on the punt team, you have such uh, clout, you have such prestige in this organization and at when we were at Temple – um, that everybody knows if you're trusted enough uh, to play on our punt team, you are the best of the best um, to do that. Um, that We had a guy, both guys got, got drafted the year before, were starters on special teams. Uh, we had the best gunners in college football, and uh, we take a great deal of pride of that. We led the country in punting last year. Obviously, we've got a tremendous punter, but the emphasis that we place on special teams we couldn't let Presley do the things that he can do punting the football if we didn't have tremendous coverage and tremendous protection as well. And we spent a ton of time on it. And the best way to make it in the league and get to your second contract is by being elite on special teams. That's where I feel like the the guys that you know maybe didn't get an invite to the quote unquote combine this year. Uh, very few of those guys are going to get drafted. I feel like that's just the reality, just because of the COVID protocols and everything. The unique draft cycle. But if you have proven to be a good special teamer and you've got that height, weight, speed element, and you've got a couple guys, uh, you know, Jalen Camp comes to mind for sure, uh, the wide receiver you guys have. If you've got those physical tools and have played special teams, I feel like that's the profile of the guy that maybe didn't get the combine invite, but is going to get drafted or be able to stick uh, once uh, we get through the summer. Absolutely. Jalen Camp put on a show at Pro Day, too. <laughs> it, it was fun to watch. And uh, he, he was our starting wide receiver, led the, led the team in receiving. But what he did 
on the punt team and even on kickoff coverage, uh, running down, tackling people um, as a starting wide receiver. Um, I think those kind of things and those unselfish acts, those play a long way uh, into success at the next level. And just the mentality that our guys have that even though some of them might not be starting on special teams uh, by the nature of depth or whatever during the time of the year, every single day, they're all doing the special team circuits. So when they get to the next level, it's going to able to be translated and they can have success when they get there. Uh, well, Coach, uh, just seeing the guys that were able to stick last year, I'm sure a couple of these guys uh, at least are going to be able to stick as well. That's a testament to the job that you and your staff have done. Excited to see what you guys have got in the future. I know you've got to have a few players uh, in the pipeline we'll be discussing here from the NFL standpoint uh, moving forward. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and talk to you soon, man. Thanks, Frank. Great stuff there from Coach, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Coach Collins. While you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on any form of social media, but the best way to support this show is to go on to Apple Podcasts, go on Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. And I want to give a shout-out today to two people who did exactly that. First off, uh, KK McFat left a five-star review asking if I had watched defensive back Lamont McFat from Cal PA, uh, gave a long scouting report of him. And KK, I have not, but thank you very much for putting Lamont uh, on my radar. And thanks so much for the five-star review. Next one here from It's Butter, left a five-star review saying, Hey, Fran, you do an awesome job. Can you feature the top HBCU players that are on the radar that may get drafted? So, Butter, uh, I'll tell you what, I've studied two this year, and it's a little bit less than a normal year because uh, the HBCU for most of those schools, they did not play in the fall, right? So a lot of them are playing right now here in the spring. Uh, from what I heard, I, I believe I saw late last week that there was uh, going to be an HBCU combine. I believe it's going to be held at UAB at, at Alabama Birmingham uh, in April. So to help put those guys on display for NFL scouts shortly before the NFL draft. I have studied two players from HBCU schools and, and I'm going to start off uh, with my favorite of the two and that's offensive lineman David Moore from Grambling State. Now uh, Moore, he went down to the senior bowl. He actually ended up winning the offensive line of the week for the American team, which was uh, a pretty big honor. And I, it, what stood out to me from David Moore down there. The first day was rough. He, he got beat a handful of times. He was a little bit over-aggressive, I thought. Uh, he would try and you know, devastate somebody with a two-handed punch. Um, you know, it would throw himself off balance. Day two, day three, day four got better and better and better and better. And I think to me, uh, I'm always looking for guys that do that, especially from when they come from a lower level of competition. If they're a group of five player, an FCS player, a Division two or three player, uh, how do they adapt to the atmosphere. It's going to be a little bit big early, but then how do they adapt? And I thought David Moore really caught on in the middle stages of the week. Obviously, that was represented well um, by him winning the Offensive Line of the Week award for the American team. And that was voted on by the defensive linemen on the American squad. So the guys that faced him every single day in practice. Now, with David Moore, he came in at under six foot two, so he's short. But he is not small. He is, number one, he has got extremely long arms. He's got outstanding length, a great wingspan. And he came in, I would say, a little bit heavy. He came in a little, I think, about 350 pounds down there at the Senior Bowl. So you'd like to see him come down a little bit. He dropped down to 336 for his pro day. I thought he had a solid pro day workout. The shuttle drills were, were I would say, on the low end. But overall, uh, he ran well. The, the, the explosive stuff, the straight line stuff, he did really, you know, he did well. He ran in the low, the uh, 514 in the 40. Uh, he jumped pretty well. Getting to the film, you know, David Moore's got starts at both guard spots. So that versatility, uh, the ability to play right-handed and left-handed, that'll serve him well. I talked about the body type. 
Keep in mind that this is a player, not only did he not get a senior year at Grambling, right, but he only started playing football in his junior year of high school. First year as a junior, he's all conference. Second year as a senior, he's all state. But small ta- small school, Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, he went to McClellan High School. They've never put anybody in the NFL. That's not a, a huge recruiting hotbed. So he ends up uh, at Grambling. And what happens? He becomes uh, a two-year starter uh, for the Tigers. And I mentioned the versatility. What stood out to me about David Moore, and this was, you know, again, a little bit lighter at this point, his athleticism on film really blew me away. He's got really light feet, no wasted movement, really fluid out in space. He reminded me a lot of Shaq Mason when Shaq Mason was coming out of Georgia Tech, and it was a, a little bit of a trip. I like the synergy there uh, with, with Jeff Collins being on the show today. Uh, he, Shaq Mason, when you watched him, it was a triple option offense. You didn't really see uh, a lot of you know traditional pass sets. He goes to the senior ball, and it was like, whoa, all right, this, uh, this guy really belongs, and he ends up being uh, an early day three pick and becomes a, now a longtime starter in the NFL. That's kind of what David Moore reminded me of. Now, he came in a little bit heavy, like I said, and he's lost some of that weight, but I think overall you're looking at an athletic player, a really standout finisher. I mean, he is always trying to maul people, push them backwards, get them on their back. He is an, one of the better finishers in this class, and when you pair length with athleticism, with finishing ability – Man, uh, that's a that's a nice base of traits to be able to work with as an offensive lineman. So uh, to me, I think that he's a guy that most likely is going to be in that early stages of day three, you know, round four, round five, probably feels like the sweet spot there for David Moore. I was a big fan of his film, and I thought he got better and better throughout the course of the week of practice down at the Senior Bowl. So that would be David Moore. And then the other player that I have studied from the HBCU level, I would say uh, Brian Mills uh, from NC Central. Now, he's another player. Did not get this season. He ended up opting out, so he's not playing here this spring. But went down to the Senior Bowl, came in at under six foot one, so six foot and three quarters, good height, but really light, really skinny frame, 180 pounds. But he's got pretty long arms. Uh, he's going to check the box from that standpoint. So the teams that kind of value that length on the perimeter, he's going to have that. He's going to check that box there. What stands out most to me about Brian Mills, he in zone coverage when he's got eyes on the quarterback and I, you know, he can kind of survey what's going on in front of him. He is, got, he is a ball hawk. He has got the ability to get to the football. And, uh, you know, one of my best friends uh, was the offensive coordinator at Morgan State uh, a couple of years ago, 2019. And in that game, Brian Mills had three picks. Huge, huge performance. Uh, he ended up leading the conference in interceptions that year, led the MEAC in picks. And, you know, Morgan State, my, my buddy saw that up close and he said, yeah, like this guy's got the ability to take the football away. He's going to be an aggressive guy uh, in terms of take on, taking on blocks in the run game. Uh, at times, we'll finish one on one as a tackler. I would just like the, the, the speed is a little bit of a question with him. And I thought that showed up down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he got beat a couple of times here and there. He can be a little bit grabby, a little bit handsy. I think that he's going to look, this is a player that. Uh, is going to need a little bit of time, a little bit of seasoning. Uh, has played very little football at the end of the day. You know, he was a first-team All-MEAC player in 2019 when he led that conference in interceptions. Before that, was just a junior college player. He was a zero-star recruit uh, coming out of Southern California. Uh, did not get any offers, so he goes the JUCO route. Ends up then transferring to NC Central. Only plays one year, uh, so you know, only ten starts in his career. But was a productive player during that one season. 
can he go somewhere where he can be, you know, he can, uh, you know, sit on the practice squad a little bit, develop. There are traits there, but everyone's always looking for size and length, and especially if you've got ball skills, uh, that will serve him well. So I think that would be uh, what I would say about Brian Mills, more of a, a late round type selection there. I think when you're talking about in terms of the NFL draft, but uh, those would be the two players that I have covered uh, from the HBU, HBCU schools uh, so far this year. Like I said, usually I do more, um, but just this year with uh, with the the, the uniqueness uh, of this season and, and the HBCU schools, a lot of them playing. Right Right now, I just have not gotten to a lot of the top players. No Shrine Bowl. That certainly didn't help either. Usually, they've got a couple guys down there in St. Pete. So, uh, thanks so much to KK McFat. Thanks so much to It's Butter and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here in Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week. Hi, I'm Fran Duffy, host of the Journey to the Draft podcast, where every week we're going through scouting reports, big boards, mock drafts, and figuring out how prospects transition to the NFL. Listen to the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found.